Rogue Radio. Now available on Mixcloud at mixcloud.com forward slash rogue country. Keep it rogue. What is going on, guys? Please go listen to Rogue Radio over on Mixcloud. I am there every Monday. The first Monday is going to be a new episode of Rogue Radio. The week after that is an episode of Into the Van, and we're just going to repeat until the end of time, and you get sick of me. I'm really proud of what we get to do with Rogue Country and Rogue Radio because we get to champion a platform artists that you may not have heard before, and artists I may not have heard before. Lance Rogers is one of those artists I discovered through Rogue Country, and I'm so glad I did. I was lucky enough to sit down with Lance ahead of his new album release on September 10th. That's this week, folks. I was lucky enough to sit down and chat to him about all things songwriting and touring and motivation, and this is a really great talk, and I really hope you enjoy it. I sure as shit did. And yeah, his album is something to behold, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. But before we get into that, you need to listen to my album, The Next Life. I am super proud of this record. It's been out for over a year now. And I really hope if you've listened to it, you've enjoyed it. If you've not listened to it before, I'm going to drop a little teaser for you now. Yes, I drive through this memory Of what a town supposed to mike333west.com it's over on Bandcamp, it's on Spotify iTunes, Deezer, Napster all of them and so is Lance Rogers' new album as well, that's going to be available everywhere on Friday the 10th of September and I urge you to go listen to it, Harry Pedagogo's new album's also out, there's so much great music coming out, I've just picked up Sierra Ferrell's and Jesse Daniels' new records I just got Choctaw Ridge from Rough Trade, which is a compilation with a ton of great stuff from the 60s and 70s. There's so much music, good and new and old and classic and retro. And there's just, it's a bombardment, guys. And it's hard to keep up, but we do it because we love it. And I really think that these new artists coming out of Kentucky are just something to behold. We've had James Reed on before. James is a close friend of Lance's. And Lance is one of those phenomenal songwriters who gets to just hook into what it is to be someone existing in this world and someone who's just got a perspective that just fits so naturally into song that you can't help but listen so his album's out september 10th i'm gonna repeat again that's september 10th guys go listen to it and without further ado this is episode 39 of into the van with mike west and lance rogers welcome to into the van with me mike west show on the road cool so we just hit record and you drove back from cincinnati so what have the drives been like what's the length of time you've been driving for between shows at the moment um we have driven now when we're on tour we drive quite a bit but um normally i'll i may drive an hour or two between gigs Mm. um i just had a i just had a show in frankfurt at a place called the stave and it's like 45 minutes to an hour from my house. So mm. it's not it's not that bad. There's quite a few venues within an hour or so drive. Oh, good. Um, but what's... while we're on tour, I mean, we, we've driven from, you know, Kentucky to Missouri, all the way out to Kansas City and down to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Mm. So a lot of driving. But it doesn't bother me, man. The windshield doesn't bother me. Yeah. What's the longest, like, in recent memory that you can remember, like, the longest distance between shows? Between shows, I'll um, about three hour drive mm. is the longest I'll that I I'll drive for however however long. But like I have had a, a gig at a place called Duke's mm. in Indianapolis, 
Pardon the motorcycles in the back. Um, but I had a, had a show at a place called Dukes in Indianapolis where I opened for Rich Henderson. Mm. And uh, that was about a three hour drive, but well worth it. It was such a great gig. And then mm. uh, that ended up, we had such a great night that night that Rich invited me to a show that he's doing out in Colorado. He's got mm. a, helping to organize it, but it's the Appalachia on the Rocks. Yeah which is right it's right before tyler childers um red rock show where he's you know i think john r miller's going to be there margo price ona a lot of other great great musicians so i'm looking forward to that man yeah that's awesome and what kind of in your mind when it's a great gig what kind of elements have to be in place for you to kind of see that because i know sometimes it can be the audience isn't really there but it can lead to a connection to take you on to something else. Or the, even if there's not that many people, there's just like a vibe to it. What in your head makes like, what are all the key ingredients for a great gig in your head? A little bit of all that. Um, every once in a while, you have a, a great listening audience in a great, on a great stage. Um, the management treats you right. I mean, they, they bring you drinks and feed you and, you know, everything just seems to go very smoothly. I consider a great gig one that I can make at least one new fan. Yeah. And that that's pretty simple to do. Uh, if I can make a room full of fans, that's even better, of course. But hmm. uh, like, uh, for instance, this last gig that I had in uh, Frankfurt at the stave, um, there happened to be a private event going on and it was a wedding party and they were all there. Um, ended up running into the wedding party after the gig was over at the gas station and they invited <laughs> me back with them to their hotel. We ended up just like playing music and having some brews and just had a good old time. But every one of them, man, I, I made sure they followed me on Spotify and nice. they were all like, Hey, when your album comes out, we're going to buy it. So that was a very successful gig, <laughs> even though, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't set up on the stage because they had, um, their event basically took up the whole stage area and where I normally set up there, but I had to play on a lower level and it was an outside show. So I don't know, man, like every once in a while magic happens like that. Um, I also, that gig, I had a fiddle player, uh, Chelsea Parker and an upright bass player, uh, Jamie Gaddis. And they always bring it, man. Like when they, when we play together, it just adds so much depth to the songs and just the atmosphere that people feel like I think they, they pay a, a little bit more attention when there's a, a larger band. Yeah. yeah. Do you find that like it's, it's a double-edged sword really, I think, cause I've found that cause I'm obviously a solo artist playing my guitar for a while, but then, you know, I bring in a fiddle player for some shows and I was just jamming with him yesterday and I'm looking to bring in a drummer. It's hard. I think because it's, you know, the songs are still yours. It's still you're playing those things, but it's weird when there's slightly more elements, it just seems to get a better reception than it is. If it's just like a bigger sound or something, it's always kind of frustrating, but you also get it at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. What I really enjoy about having someone else there on stage with me, if I have, if I bring one person with me, it's typically a fiddle player mm. and it just, um, it gives me a break a little bit because I can sit there, I can go, you know, play while they're doing a lead or a fill in mm. and where it's just, if it's just me on my acoustic guitar, which I, I'm not like a, I'm still working at it, but I'm not a really good like lead guitar player. Mm. So it's just they're hearing either me finger picking a bunch of chords or strumming, but it just breaks up the monotony of that a little bit for the listener. And mm. I just feel more comfortable having people on stage. I, I play a lot of solo shows, um, but just having a fiddle player, man, when you, you're you from a, a long ways off and you hear a fiddle playing, it automatically brings you that direction. Yeah. Like you want to figure out what's going on. So there's just something in our, I don't know, out, out in this area, man we have a lot of scotch irish ancestry mm. and there's something about hearing that fiddle it just uh you know it's like i don't know ancient yeah yeah no definitely man what like i don't want to put you on the spot now would you rather hear a pedal steel sound or a fiddle sound like what is the one that's going to bring you more joy as you hear it first a pedal steel um 
I I prefer pedal steel sound because I love sad songs. Mm. I think it's just the it just kind of sums up the groaning and the pain that sometimes a, a sad country song will bring out. Uh, a fiddle makes you want to dance, so I, I feel <laughs> like I like them both equally. Tell you the truth, but my you know my album that's coming out it's full of pedal steel. I don't yeah. have any fiddle on it at all because um, I write a lot of sad songs, sad country songs. <laughs> Although, I mean, some of them, I do have some more upbeat songs on the album that, that's coming out, uh, but they all, it's all, it's pedal steel heavy. Mm. Well, man, I like, for me, I think I'm leaning towards a pedal steel as well, but one of my favorite noises in the world is when someone just hits a chord on a resonator and then just slides up the fretboard and just starts hitting those high notes just that sound to me is just something i always smile to myself whenever i hear that noise yeah kind of a bluesy feel mm. but with the new album so that's out in october is it has there been a release date set for that yet um that's actually going to be out next friday oh, awesome. september is mm. my release date and i just uh you know i wanted it out way before this um and i i it just took way longer because of the pandemic getting back to the studio, mm. uh, getting everybody lined up, um, you know, getting the album art done and the photo shoots and, um, just everything that it just took long, way longer than I anticipated. Mm. Uh, but it's finally going to be out and September the 10th is, is when it goes live. It's going to go live on Spotify, iTunes, you know, there's, I use distro kid to distribute it. So it, there's a, a list of like 30 places they'll put that that album. So awesome, people can man. download it, listen to it. Yeah. Great. Well, this episode will come out tomorrow on the 7th to uh, predate your album. So I'll make sure to drop all links. And if there's a pre-save link and stuff, I'll drop it all in this. But with the photography from and stuff, obviously the album itself, the music is its own thing. What kind of approach did you come to with? the album artwork because i know it's very like striking from what i've seen on facebook and stuff it's got that really great shot of you with you know the title and everything what was your concept behind like the creation of the actual visual package of the album and connie from la honda records actually hit you up with the album artwork yeah which i was um i was so happy about that man because i she does a very top-notch work i mean her her style is just exactly what i wanted and uh she she got back with me i um i'd done a photo shoot with alexis fay who is uh morgan wade's tour manager mm. and she's also like a, just a great photographer um and i've known her for a while but she had done a photo shoot for me and i picked out one of the pictures that i liked the most and i i sent it to connie i told her this is the one i want to use but you can feel free to design the art however you want to and this and she gave me three different options um and this option for the album was the one that she liked the most and um so i went with i went with that i mean i had no no second guesses man mm. i was like this is uh this is exactly what i wanted um and i got a good response when i put it out there but you know it, it definitely stands out it has a kind of a 60s 70s kind of yeah. feel to it which the you know and, and a lot of my song a lot of my songs on there have a kind of an old school country feel, so it just fit for. Mm. Cool man, and with that kind of old school feel, what have been your influences? Not just in general stuff. Were you listening to anyone specific while you were writing and recording the album that you had in your head? Who's someone who was inspiring this creation at this point in time? Well, when I started putting this album together, I was listening to a lot of George Jones. I, mm. I mean, I was listening to a lot of Chris Knight, uh, Robert Elkin, uh, Jason Isbell. I mean, those guys right there, I mean, they're, they did inspire me quite a bit. I mean, you'll hear some reflections of, of them in my, in my songs, mm. but I had a, it was very difficult to whittle down what I wanted to put on the album because I, I, written so many songs and i kind of relied on social media you know like to if, if i had a good response on a song that i would put out there mm. it was a contender for the album and so ultimately my i let my producer kind of go through the songs and figure out what he thought all fit together nicely and mm. so we picked out 10 songs three of them are already available 
Uh, the other three, most people have heard them before, but not in this not in this way. It's full, fully produced. Uh, you'll hear pedal steel and bass and lead guitar and percussion, mm. some piano in there too. Nice. So I'm looking forward to getting it out there and seeing what people think. Cool, man. And you kickstarted this album, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I picked the goal of it took 45 days but i picked the goal of forty five hundred dollars and it it exceeded the goal like i got it i think fifty one hundred or something so it went over what i what i wanted Mm. now that didn't cut that didn't cover the entire cost of the album of course but it, it really got me started yeah and uh but and that was another thing it took it took a lot longer financially too because they're you know it's a there's so many things that you don't think about when you start an album that you have to for. And um, so I just had to take it a little bit at a time. And uh, now I, here I am, I've got the next thing I've got to do is I've got to fulfill the orders for, from the Kickstarter, which mm. there were, there were several incentives along the way to, to donate. It was uh, t-shirts and albums and written uh, handwritten lyric sheets and things like that. So, as soon as I get the albums printed up, I'll be sending thing out. I think I had maybe seventy or eighty people contribute. Nice, that's really so good, man. I pretty think... good uh, response, man. I, I was. Yeah, I think like Go what ahead. you were saying about like when you were kind of having those songs out and letting people kind of decide. One of the things I really enjoy about your kind of presence, obviously, I haven't seen you face to face because there's an ocean separating us. But one of the things I've enjoyed from afar is you have this real sense of community around you and i think kentucky and like the artists around you that like your contemporaries really have this like community tight-knit feel to them do you think that has really like that must have helped really like strengthen your kickstarter campaign and people being interested in the songs as you were like kind of writing and showcasing them it did it really helped a lot i mean i could not have done it without a handful of people that really um, they had a large amount of followers and they would share my, my Kickstarter. And um, Ashley Wells is one of those uh, JJ waters, mm. um, WB Walker uh, just had a, a lot of people that had, you know, they had been building their brand up for a long time and really helped me out by sharing it and got people involved. And then I, I you know, I haven't really been doing this for that long. I mean, I've, I started writing music, three or four years ago mm. and it was it's only been a couple of years that i've been out playing shows so i think a lot of people had seen my sorry these motorcycles they had uh they had seen my progress man like from the very beginning of mm. me just sitting in my living room you know trying to put a song together to the point where they were sharing my kickstarter i, I think they were they they liked to see that like a success story of sorts. And it, it, I really felt uh, nervous doing that. You know, I, nobody wants to ask for money, but I was yeah. trying to just see what it would do. Yeah. And um, it just gives you a confidence, such a confidence when it happens. And you're like, man, this is a, everything that I had planned out is coming, coming true, man. And that's another thing about the, you have to have this mindset of determination Yeah. because there are, there are a lot of artists here. There are a lot of, ways that you can kind of get drowned out um and so you definitely just have to keep going you just have Mm -hmm. to keep going and those the the friends that had you know put their hands on my shoulder or looked me dead in the eye and told me like you have to keep going keep doing this and i i was determined man and uh i still am you know i'm and i'm looking forward to the future and seeing what this album does and getting out and touring on it and and then coming up with the next one. I mean, I already have, I already have enough songs to do three or four more albums, but nice. I, I already have the second one kind of planned out what I want to do. And I don't know that I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do exactly as far as producing it, whether it's going to be a stripped down thing or, you know, similar to what this first album is going to be, but mm. I kind of already know what the songs are, are going to be on there and maybe write some ones, but I don't know. That's another thing when you put an album out that took, you know, it took over a little over a year, maybe a year and a half to produce. I've written songs that I like 
way better than some of that are on there. Mm. And, but, but these, I think this represents where I was through 2019 and 2020. And, uh, so just looking forward to getting it out. Yeah. No, that makes sense, man. I think sometimes it gets lost that these albums are like, they are also meant to capture that moment in time. They're not meant to represent like, you know, necessarily the best work or the most current work, but it's the most honest of the time work, I think. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your record from the three I've heard. It really does have that like timely, but timeless feel. And I really enjoy that about your writing. Thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. And they, you know, like Outside the Lines was the first song that I had, had released. Um, and I, at the time, I didn't know that it was going to be on an album. Mm. I just wanted to put a song out there. And I think I did a little bit backwards. I think most people have an album already planned, and then they start pulling out songs that they consider as singles. But mm. I just wanted to, to kind of build up because I was, I was, I'd go to the studio. I would pay for one day. We'd get a song done. And then I would release it. And um, the song was I Always Killing You. It was one that I was going through some really, really hard times, man. Mm. And it just, uh, I got inspired to write that one laying on my couch one night. And I was looking at some artwork on Instagram that, that a, a buddy of mine had put out there. And that was actually one of the kind of the, the, the script under one of his uh, paintings that was I was killing you and I started looking at his other his other work and so he had all, all these uh these scripts underneath his this artwork and so I started putting these the sentences together and make I made this song and I gave him he's not a singer songwriter but he's uh I gave him 50 percent co-write credit <laughs> on it because he inspired it <laughs> so yeah that's but so I, like, I, that's I think so that, awesome. that was the third one I put on but yeah, check his uh, check his workout, man. If you look, if you type in Startsman mm. on Instagram, you'll see all his artwork. But and is we that, live in the same town. Yeah, is that it. the um, artwork that's on the Spotify thumbnail as uh, well? For that, no, the second song I put out was "Flying on Mama's Feet." Say that again. Was uh, was I always I killing you? you? Was the uh, is the artwork on your Spotify? Is that the artwork that he's done? Yes. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Yes. I love that. Um, thumbnail or that piece of art that's it's worthy of more than just a thumbnail yeah and then i i ended up putting that on the back of the shirt the the shirt harder folks get sent to them has mm. that on the, on the back the whole back and then my logo on the front nice um but yeah he's uh, he's also done two two posters for me he did he did one recently of a song that i just wrote called lost you and there's a picture of me kind of like playing guitar on the bottom. And then there's a beautiful like redheaded woman, like looking out off in the distance. Hmm. Uh, he did that one. And then I, I did a, I have a poster that I sell, you know, at my gigs. He, he designed that one, but he's, he's just a, he's a very creative dude. And um, he's kind of, he's going to come up with another logo for me real soon. Hmm. Yeah. But now the second song I put out was called "It Was On Mama's Feet." That was mm. much about growing up in Berea, Kentucky. So I try to I try to make each song that I selected for the album have to have meaning yeah. to me and my my hometown upbringing and my friends and uh, like I said, man, 2020 is about about broke me uh, in a lot of different ways, but. Mm. Music was music was the medicine, man. It helped me get through. So I wanted to I wanted to you know bring an album out that reflected kind of my survival through that year, mm. and I think uh, I think it does it. No, that's awesome, man. With the full album, was there a process behind how you organized the tracks, like with within the actual record? Yeah, I did. I organized them to get kind of a good flow mm. i wanted to have i didn't want too many sad songs in a row i wanted to have i kind of want to mix it up with more yeah. upbeat stuff i start the album out with outside the lines because that's the very first song that i put out and i think it just sets the whole stage for the album mm. um it's about two you know these this couple that find each other and they're both having hard hard times at their at their own homes in, in different ways you know the, this that song's about the song's about the female and the 
in the song. Mm. Uh, wow, she does not want to go home because there's there's some issues at home, and and I don't I don't spell it out exactly, but I insinuate that there's a um, you know a, an abuse situation happening yeah. at home. So that song means a lot to me, man. Um, it means a lot to a lot of other people, mm. and so I wanted that to be front and center. And then I kind of um, kind of bring you on through this ride. I, first, uh, the first side. I'm trying to think of the order. <laughs> I have to look at my album cover again, but <laughs> it's a my producer and the guy that mixed and mastered it also helped with that that decision process mm. on how how it was going to flow. Yeah. And also another thing we had to look at was I want to print this thing up in vinyl and we had to have the timing just right too. Yeah. So that, that influenced it because we, we kept it to, I, I want to say the the whole album's under 40 minutes. Mm. So it's not, it's an easy, it's an easy one to get in your car and listen to, you know, um, and uh, kind of takes you on that ride. Okay, doing? doing a podcast <laughs> but yeah man the uh I, I appreciate being able to talk to you and yeah. um, i've been following you guys for a while and uh i listened to that podcast most recently i guess was james Reed the last one you did yeah i had him out a while ago i think jamie wyatt was the last one i had on and um, for this oh jamie wyatt she's yeah. badass yeah, but with him, like album listens, like talking of vinyl, I kind of didn't realize. And then once it was actually getting made into vinyl, the thing I realized about album ordering was what song to end like side A on. And that in itself was like another choice then, which made me rethink how to construct the album because then you have to think about what song is going to end that's going to make someone want to get up and actually flip side B over. And then what do you do on side B? to catapult them back into the experience yeah. after they've like switched. And it's a really interesting kind of thought process to think about not just an album order in terms of like flow and story, but then with those type of interruptions and things you have to do for vinyl. Yeah, that was definitely consideration. Um, I end the first side with a song called Coyote's Cry. Mm. And it's kind of a, kind of an epic song you know like it takes you it kind of has a cinematic feel to it the first side of the b-side or the first uh the first song on the b-side is called motorbike it's more it's up tempo kind of has a, a little bit of a tom petty feel to it so i want to get you know people are going to come out of that side a with a kind of a melodramatic feel and then all of a sudden boom um yeah. back on the road you know nice. and so but mm. that I, I thought about that a lot. I had thought about different orders. Um, the one that I picked, man, I, I feel like it's it's the way it needed to be. Mm -hmm. Kind of the, the the B side ends with a song called "Doing Fine," and it's very I don't know, man. It's a little bit of a sad song because the, the guy by the the song title is "Doing Fine," but the guy is not doing fine. <laughs> in fact, in fact, he he says that you know when I basically the day that he gets buried. Um, just remember that he loved once and now he's doing fine mm. so it's like the, the fact that he's doing fine means he's just he's gone yeah no, that's awesome so. man and that's very you know I can even just from like that brief description I can hear like the George Jones-esque like vibe to that where it's I always love that kind of wear playing tongue-in-cheek thing of you know even like bottle to the bottom like, bottom yeah bottle to the bottom with, by Christopherson where it's got that kind of reversed like play with all those type of things. But talking about outside the lines briefly, you talked about how it hints at, you know, abusing things. Was it a conscious decision to, you know, kind of keep it vague and keep it, you know, in people's imaginations instead of spelling it out for people? It was because, you know, some people will listen to that song and not even pick up on that. They'll just think it's a, a love story between, you know, a couple of high school kids mm. um, just getting out and doing their thing for a summer and, but if you listen a little closer, I mean, you listen several times, you'll pick up on little keys here and there that um, even with the even with the guy in the in the in the song, I wanted to kind of give a, a feel that he had he has a little bit of a materialistic side, mm. and perhaps he found comfort in this girl that was not like that. She was kind of like a little bit of a rebel. Mm. So I don't know. There's a lot of different ways to 
to listen to it. Mm. Let's step, back, step in here real quick because make it a little noisy. These motorcycles rolling in. <laughs> but yeah, I, I wanted to be vague enough so that people could make up their own story. Mm. But ultimately, I wanted to give this. I want to give this girl in the in the song. Um, I wanted to give like a voice to mm. her and yeah. what she was dealing with. And I didn't want that to be too super vague. Mm. You know, one the one line where it took this guy years to you know think about her situation and not even realizing at the time what she was going through, but but years later he's contemplating on it and uh, he knows that he now he understands why why she was crying when he would hold mm. try to hold her hand, you know, and because she just didn't want to be touched. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, don't that's such like a powerful thing. And like, I, like I've listened to Outside the Lines a couple of times now. I'm gonna need to go back and listen closer to that one and crank it up a bit. But that's a really interesting thing for when, as a songwriter, what do you leave in and what do you leave out, and what do you let yeah. people interpret and things. But I read in your biography that you wrote your first song in 2018. What was it that was the catalyst between you picking up a guitar and starting to write your own songs? I had done a, uh, I did a cover song and I put it out on Instagram. It was like, can't you see? I did that cover like everybody else does. And uh, I put it out, had a good response. And so then I did another one. I put it out, had a good response. And, you know, they're like, man, you gotta be, you gotta sing. Like <laughs> you have a good voice and all this kind of stuff. So I was like, well, why don't I? And so I, one day I was like, you know what? I just need to, I just need to write my own song. Mm -hmm. And so I, I sat down and I wrote a song called hey betty and it was one that kind of based on a story my grandpa told me years ago and uh about he had to he ended up getting in some getting old trouble and had to leave kentucky and he moved to ohio it took my grandmother and uh i'm gonna write a more detailed song based on <laughs> a little bit more accuracy but because i do fabricate a little bit in this song because mm. there are no pills involved there was no like drug addictions or anything like that but in the song there was yeah um but yeah that was a, i wanted to have something that i love uh i love family history i love keeping things um I, i'm very conscious of my of my future mm. who, who i leave you know my legacy and like people that years and years and years down the road that are my relatives how they'll listen to my songs and I want, I want to be able to carry some of that family history through, through my lyrics. And mm. so I figured, I figured like the first one I did, I wanted to base it kind of on something my grandpa told me. And um, we do have music on that side of the family. My mom told me one time that she's like, I think your great uncle wrote some famous songs. And I knew he was part of the band. Um, but I, one day I was looking at, I was trying to find some of the songs that she told me that he had written. Mm. And his name was Buford Abner. He ended up, I would type his name in, and Sturgill Simpson's face kept popping up. I was <laughs> like, what the hell is going on? And, uh, but he, he ended up, he, Buford Abner was the one that wrote the song Long White Line. Oh, really? It's my great, my great uncle. Yeah. And then my other great uncle on the Dalton side, Doug Dalton, he had a band. He was in a band called the Whippoorwills. They were like a Western swing band. And mm. they ended up playing with uh, Roy Rogers. And they, they played several shows with the Sons of the Pioneers. And, um, really, I mean, got kind of big there until rock and roll destroyed it. But, uh, but yeah, that's out of my family, man. There, my grandpa. I kind of wish that he had lived to see me playing shows. I mean, yeah. he, he had no clue. He had no clue that I was going to end up doing this. I didn't either. <laughs> but um, you know, we had a we had a really close bond. He died when he was ninety seven years old. Still, still riding motorcycles and just you know, he was an he was an artist too. He loved to paint, yeah. loved to build little wooden toys. And just, uh, I think he had that, he had that creative energy that, that I got, mm. you know, that I got, I probably got through him, that side of the family. That's but so cool. Man. Always got to be doing something. Always yeah. got to be writing or building or something, doing something. Yeah. No, that's so good. And I think it's weird, man, because I've had zero musical, like anyone in my family to ever play anything. And, you know, people may see that shows in my own work and stuff. But ages ago or like a few months ago, my mom found a load of old photos from my nan's house. 
and I found the first ever picture of someone other than myself in like my family tree playing instruments and it's my uh, great granddad in his World War II uniform and he's got an accordion and he's like playing that he must have had some I don't know how good he was I don't know anything about him but that's the only <laughs> member of my family I've seen have an instrument that's cool but yeah, my, uh, yeah. my my great my great grandfather on my dad's side of the family, the Roger side, he he played, but not professionally. He but he had an old mm. guitar that he from from what I understand, he used to play at weddings and just family events and things like that. But but uh, yeah, I picked the guitar up. I always had a guitar around, yeah, growing up, but I never really tried to play it until you know several years ago. Mm. Um, and by play it, I mean like five chords you know what i'm saying <laughs> um, i still want to learn how to play lead guitar hmm. yeah, it's hard but, man i think like are you finger picking lead and stuff because i suck at finger picking do you have any like routines or practices you go through to play guitar i play a little bit every day like this morning i had my had a cup of coffee on the front porch and I always bring my guitar out there with me and I'll just play a couple of things. And every once in a while, like this morning, I'll be inspired to write a new song, mm. which I started this morning. But um, yeah, I mean, I do, I do about half and half. I, I like to do some finger picking, uh, mm. but it depends on the setting too. If I'm, if I'm in a, a loud kind of a room, I will, I'll do some finger picking songs as the volume dies down. Yeah. I'm in a loud crew, you know, room or something like that. People were just talking. I'll I'll play my louder songs, and it's usually the ones that I'm strumming. And I can just like yell out. Yeah. And with the song you were working on this morning, when you write something, was that an idea that came like lyrics first, or as you were like noodling around on the guitar, did the music come first, and then the words start trying to form what you were like, what the vibe was as you were playing? This morning, it, this morning, it was the melody first. Mm. I had a melody. And you know how sometimes a, a, a melody will start to talk to you. Mm. And I, I know that sounds weird, but that's the way I, I'll, I'll hear words sometimes in the melody. And I know that those, and I'll, you know, if I can come out with one sentence from the sound of the melody, then I usually can have the start of another song. Yeah. Cool. But, yeah, there was a couple, couple lines that I had this morning. Which I don't know if they're going to stay in there or not, but, um, you know, she, uh, one of them was she pistol whipped my conscience, <laughs> nice. but realized it was already gone. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> pistol whipped my conscience. I was like, that needs to be, in it. that needs to be in there. Definitely, man. Do you have, like, when you think of these lyrics, are you precious about certain phrases being in things and having to stay in that way? Or are you a lot more fluid in, you know, changing it around of that phrase or sentence and, making it fit somewhere else i mean sometimes i feel like certain things have a, a special nature to them because i haven't heard them before mm. you know if i haven't heard a line before specifically that like like that one i just told you yeah. that one that one's unique enough that it's probably got to make the song <laughs> um other lines i'm not i don't get attached to because you you may have heard them in other songs before in, in certain different ways you know but um I don't know. There's nothing new under the sun either. Yeah. You know, everything's already been said, but it's just a matter of sometimes you can have a very plain Jane song, you know, lyrically, but you have a killer melody mm. and sometimes it's the opposite. Um, but yeah, I, I, I usually, I usually try to lean heavily on the, the unique lines and just, if I'm co-writing or something, there'll, there'll be times where I have to insist that no, th this one's got to stay in there. <laughs> mm. And Which with, I do like. And with co-writing like you've done with like Philip David Harris and James Reed, what's kind of your approach to those songwriting sessions with other people? Typically, typically one of us will have a, a an idea for the song and maybe even a good start on it. Mm. And and then sometimes the song will already be written, and you know somebody will say, "Hey, I want your input on this," and I'll say, "You know, I'll I'll go through and make some suggestions." And we'll end up rewriting the song, and mm. and very rarely we'll just have a song title to work with. They yeah. those usually take the longest. Um, the song, are you familiar with Dalton Mills? Yeah, we wrote a song together called "Verse Chorus Verse," mm. and it's on his album. And I'm putting it on my album too. But 
you know, the one, the way that I do is, is uh, way different. Mine actually has more of an upbeat feel to it, mm. but the way we started that one was he had the idea and had the, the, uh, the first few opening lines. And then we just went back and forth from that point. And uh, that song was written pretty, pretty quickly. I want to say it was after a day, oh, really? maybe a day and a half. Yeah. And sometimes we're like that, man. Sometimes some songs are, it's like they are, I've said this before in other podcasts, but like they're already written and mm. you just like pull them out of the sky. And so I kind of think about it. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that kind of like, it's nothing can't come from something and something can't come from nothing. It's that cyclical thing that like, sometimes you do just kind of pull these things out the ether. Yeah. 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 It's a good feeling when it happens. Yeah. I, I really, you know, I'm not afraid to put a song down if it's taken me too long to write, I just, I'll put it down and I'll, it'll go into the junkyard of songs. <laughs> Man, everybody's on the bikes today. Yeah. And uh, so I have a graveyard of songs and I'll just, every once in a while, I'll, I'll walk through the aisles of the, of the songs stacked up, you know, in the, while they're resting and I'll pull off a part here and there and use it in another song. Yeah. No, that's the best thing to do with, these songs and stuff because you like some of them are under contract with banner music in nashville how did that come about with like did you pitch them to places or did they approach you uh the the guy that i used to write with philip david harris he had he was a writer for banner music and he lived in alabama they allowed him to write even though they were they were based on music row in nashville Mm. They allowed him to write remotely. And so we started doing a lot of co-writes together and we submitted them. Any song we had that kind of had a feel of like, hey, this could be on the radio mm. or I could hear so-and-so artist singing this one. Um, we would pitch that to Banner. So we would, we would, we could send them, we had a, we could send them directly to the owner actually. Mm. And they would listen to them and they may hear 20 songs and pick one. And uh, that's what they did. We had, our first one was called a Kansas colored sky mm. and that, that one got a contract and what they do once they get the contract, they will, um, they will send it to if they, they sometimes they do a professional demo. Other times I'll just use the phone demo that I send them mm. and they'll give it to their song plugger and a song plugger will go around to the people, the artists that they know are looking for a specific style song. And they will try to pitch it to them. And mm. so it's, it's everybody's kind of dream as a songwriter to get a cut in Nashville. Yeah. So even though, you know, I'm, I'm considered a, you know, a Nashville published songwriter, I don't, I still don't have a cut yet, a major mm. cut. So that's, that's coming down the line. I have a good, a gut feeling, man, especially the song that, that James Reed and I wrote. We got a contract on it through Banner Music and uh, it's called Call Me Jack. Mm kind of loosely based on the song Jack and Diane, but kind of got a good feel to it, man. And I, James has a, he has the same confidence level that I do about it. <laughs> like we're already, we're already dreaming about what we're going to do when it goes number one, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> and with those kind of songs, does that mean that like, can you record those songs and put them on your records and stuff? Or is it, you know, specifically for, like the song plugger to use and then to move on to people. I don't really know how that kind of like world works in Nashville. Yeah. Well, I, I would, if I put it on my album, the way that it is right now. So let's take, let's take call me Jack, for instance, Mm. Um, James and I wrote the song. So we both, we were both 50% owners of that song until we got a a contract on it. Now banner music owns 50%. And James and I have 25% each. Yeah. And so if I put it on my album, it might do two things. I'm not going to get, I'm not going to get much as far as royalties off the song. Um, and it could mess up the chances of another major yeah. artist deciding to pick it up because they want to have something that nobody's heard before. Yeah. Like an exclusivity to it. Yeah. Something like that. Now I, I will play that song at shows occasionally. Uh, especially when James and I are doing a show, sometimes mm. we'll get up and sing that song together. But um, that's not something like that's not going to mess it up. But having it on the album, yeah. Then the art, what an artist is going to want to do is they're going to want to have something that's catchy enough that 
you know, people are going to want to listen to it and, and get on the charts and all this kind of thing. If, if they hear, if they hear a song, if they hear a song that it's already, it's already on my album or somebody else's album, then they are going to look at, okay, how's the song performed? Yeah. And if it's, if it hasn't done anything, they're going to be like, they're going to skip up on it. Mm. So they want to have the chance to let people hear it first so that they can make it however they want to. Mm. No, that makes sense, man. That's really interesting. And with those songwriter sessions, do you write sometimes with the frame of mind of we, we want to write a song to pitch to people? Or is it as you're co-writing stuff, you go, this might be something we can pitch to people? Um, I rarely will write a song that I, I think that, okay, this is one I want to, I want to get mm. on the radio or try to pitch it to, um, you know, a publishing house. But it's, it's, it's the second thing you said. It's basically after I write it, mm. we get, we get a melody going and it's like, you know what, this, this might make it. And, and it's usually a song that I'm not, I'm not in love with. You know what mm. I mean? Like it, it doesn't have a whole lot of me in it that, yeah. that I feel like it's, it's sacred to me and I can't, I wouldn't yeah. want to sell it or it's usually very kind of, you know, like songs you're on the radio. I mean, they're kind of like very generic kind of feeling. Mm. <laughs> I do. There was, I mean, a Kansas Keller sky was, I was actually surprised they picked that one up. It has an old school, like, um, it has an old school feel to it, like a nineties sounding mm. country song. And then what's the other one we got? besides call me jack I'm thinking of a minute i'll think of the other song here mm. in a minute but it was also one that i was i was called storms of yesterday mm. it's about the song is basically about a guy that um goes to a live show and the songs kind of strike him and he just like gets wasted drunk and <laughs> it brings out it brings back the storms of yesterday you know oh. so but yeah it was like i wasn't in love with the song i do play it occasionally on some at some shows but mm. i don't know i will tell you a song that i i'm in love with that i wrote with cody howard and i played every show it's called another life and mm. it's definitely gonna be the next album because uh i don't know man it's one that people will start requesting now too that's awesome man uh, and i always feel good about that one mm. Oh, cool. And at the moment, you've got some gigs this weekend. Have you got a tour throughout the season? I know you've got some New York dates planned as well. What's kind of the future once you've released this record this week? What is the plan going forward with it all? The plan going forward? Let me get these motorcycles out of the way real quick. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the plan going forward with... Okay. We need a muffler shop around here, I guess. <laughs> um, with the album, man, I, I do want to take it on tour. I got some, I want to do a series of album release shows. Mm. And I've got one planned already at a place called uh, Elixir. It's mm. downtown Lexington. I also want to do one at, I've got the okay to do one at a place called The Venue in Moorhead, Kentucky. Real nice stage, beautiful sound system. Um, and my dream is to play at the Burl, man. I still haven't mm. played at the Burl. It's like a, it's like the the big venue in Lexington, uh, where so many people that I look up to have played the stage yeah. there. And I want to try to work that out. But yeah, basically a series of, of album release shows. Now this tour, this next tour we're getting ready to go on, it's not necessarily like an album tour, it's just uh, a series of gigs that you know James Reed, myself, and Carly Driftwood got. Mm. Um and uh we had a we had a blast the last tour we did and um we decided to do another one. Hmm. but yeah moving forward i got i got a festival i'm playing this weekend uh monday i'll be down in uh, at a listening room in pigeon forge tennessee and then tuesday i've got a show in chattanooga with james reed um and i think we're trying to get a show for wednesday down there somewhere but yeah just uh constantly doing something yeah no that's awesome how do you kind of because this month and August and shit has just been a fucking write-off for me. I've just kind of been, like, chasing me tail and losing track of time. How do you kind of manage your time and stay on top of things and keep motivated to keep doing what you do? And I know it's quite a wide and vague question, but what is it you think that keeps you, like, ticking over and driving and striving forward? The thought of being an old man and having regrets. 
yeah, that's yeah. ultimately it, man. I mean, you make a lot of sacrifices to do this, and um, I do not want that to be in vain. You know, mm. I want to, I want to give it the, I don't want to half-ass anything, and yeah. so I do have to. You know, it is kind of a nauseating process sometimes when you you're self-promoting all yeah. the time, and I do hope to have a team at some point have you know that that will do that kind of stuff for me, like a management team of mm. some sort, and uh, because I. It is. It can be overwhelming, you know, because I'm making flyers for each show and just and making getting gigs and then worrying like, okay, three months out, where my where do I need to be? Yeah. Just constantly, it's. But I do wake up every day thinking about it and doing something to you know move the ball down the field. Mm. Yeah. No, it's crazy, man. I think there is that motivation, and I think that's the nail on the head, man. It's like you don't want to be an old dude and realize that you didn't really fucking get to where you needed to be and that was just because you didn't put in those extra couple of hours or you didn't you know drive those extra hours to that show and put the time and that's really that's nail on the head for that yeah it's like the um there's no guarantees about anything We're, yeah. you know who knows if we are going to quote unquote make it <clears throat> in my you know i've made it in several ways already um but what what my dream is is to be able to do this for a living yeah and to not, not have to you know i do i do heating and air and refrigeration usually the, usually monday tuesday wednesday and then the rest of the week is typically for my music mm. and gigs and everything but at one point i want it to be all music yeah yeah no man that's definitely so i think I, I, it'll yeah. go ahead I think you're re you're really going about it like you the right way. You've built that community. You've had people on this journey for so long that you really have like an invested audience and fan base, which is completely well deserved. And I th really think you're on the right path for it. Thanks, man. I appreciate you saying that. The um, it's been a lot of work, you know. And, but we got in Kentucky in this region we got some really great fans and they are they support us man they support us by coming to the shows and buying mm -hmm. our merch and spreading the word even when they don't come to shows they'll they'll share it on their social media and all that helps mm -hmm. yeah no that's awesome man. well we're coming up to the hour mark and obviously I don't want to keep you too much of the day I know you're currently sitting in a van and fending off bikers and things so I just <laughs> want to you know wish you luck with the album I can't wait to hear it and um yeah, I can't wait. Also, I need to get you and fucking James Reed over to the UK to do some shows and stuff as well. That's what I really want to see you guys do next. Well, let's do it, man. We'll definitely come over. We can maybe you can go on tour with us. <laughs> That'd be awesome, man. And that was episode thirty-nine of Into the Van, Into the Bag with Lance Rogers. Lance's new album is out September tenth. That's this Friday, guys. Please go check out. It is at every streaming platform available. Pick up a physical copy, head over to his band camp, head over to his store, and just keep supporting the things you love. I'm lucky enough to be going on tour with Cam Cole this month. Uh, we are doing Liverpool on Wednesday the 8th of September. Then it is Birmingham on the 15th, Glasgow on the 17th, and Edinburgh on the 21st. If you're available, please come on down. Keep an eye out for all my other tour dates on mike333west.com. And keep doing what you love, guys. Keep enjoying what you love and keep supporting what you love. Peace.